0: Tell you what, I want to start off with prayer. I want to pray for Jim. I want to pray for uh, Lou Newby. Laura's dad. I also want to pray for the revival, or whatever you want to call it. I personally don't care. And can I just be honest with you, frankly? I don't think God cares what we call it. There's just been some negative negativity. There's been some cynicism. I'm actually going to talk a little bit more about it. Uh, at the beginning of next week's sermon, as we transition, as I start into a new sermon series, and you got that great. And I think what they're wanting is they're just saying, "You know what? let's let's not be quick on the draw. I think a number of people from Florida ex- that experienced the so-called lakeland Fl- Lakeland Revival, which was anything but a revival. Um, after this revival, the so-called revival, of course, uh, Todd Bam Bam Bentley ran off with the secretary and has since just struggled with all kinds of junk. And, you know, I, I just leave him before the Lord. But the truth is that genuine revivals like the Brownsville revival and so many others are happening. They're happening on college campuses. If you want to call it a revival, if you want to just call it what the Bible calls it, a reviving or a renewal or a refreshing thing great great god wants to revive his church there's a weariness in his church that god wants to breathe new life into there's a deadness in our culture in the people of america in this world that god wants to breathe life into that is an awakening That is revival. Who cares whether it happens on a college campus? I don't know what heart starts criticizing that. Instead of, you know, just waiting two years and then calling it a revival. You know, when someone gives their heart to the Christ, what do you do? Hey, you know what? Great. I'm so glad you made that decision. Let's just wait two years to see some fruit in your life, and then we'll baptize you. Right? Okay, we're going to baptize them, and then we're going to pray for them to bear fruit. So I want to do that. I want to pray that God does something great on that campus, God begins doing something great throughout college campuses because you and I both know that those colleges need it. You know, even secular campuses. Do you remember Yale University in the early 1800s? Man, God poured out his spirit. If you ever read Borden of Yale? He helped uh, lead this revival, a student on that campus. And man, what a powerful move of God. God does that kind of stuff. My prayer is that that kind of thing would be so common in America, not just highlights, but everywhere, every city experiencing this, including Sanford and Lake Mary, all right, and beyond. Amen. So, Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit in our day, that you would do amazing things, that you would fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, even as the waters cover the seas. That, Lord, that that nations would stream to your holy mountain, coming into your kingdom. That, Father, we're going to see in our little tiny city of Sanford and Lake Mary and beyond, we're going to see your spirit poured out and moved. I ask you, Lord God, bring a reviving. Bring a refreshing and a renewal. Bring an awakening, Lord God. Life, death to life. Do it God in our day. Do it in our hearts if we need that reviving. Do it in our city. Do it in this church, God, please. Do it. Lord, I do pray for Jim. Lord, he is he's facing a very situ- very difficult situation for the doctors. And Lord, the truth is if they can't get that blood flow in that in that from the knee down, they're going to have to remove it. And I just pray for my brother, Lord, that that would not be the case. May this angiogram this coming tuesday morning may it go so well lord god i pray grant the doctors tremendous success grant jim success in jesus name for lou Newby, lord god i just pray i i god they're they're saying you know um heart failure and and this kind of thing and and I, i just ask you lord that you would rescue him, I ask, Father, as I prayed earlier for him, Lord. That your peace would be upon him. Your healing power would be upon him. He'd be able to walk out of that, that uh, hospital. I say uh, They're saying, you know, like two days from now. And I just pray, Father, for your favor and an abundant amount of grace to be upon him. Please, God. Now, Lord, as we open your word, would your spirit speak life into our wearied souls? Would you encourage our hearts with the word of truth? and by the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been going through a series entitled Waiting Upon the Lord, and I'm going to wrap that one up today, and we're going to be looking at the Jabez prayer, or the prayer of Jabez, however you want to say it, in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. That's right, 1 Chronicles. How many of you have read the First, 10 chapters of Chronicles lately, in which it's nothing but, almost nothing but, chrono- uh, a genealogy or chronology. And that's right, we're going to be studying right in the heart of those genealogies. Just two verses, that's all it is. And it's going to help us, I believe, wrap up this idea of waiting upon the Lord. Because as we've been studying it, this Hebrew word for waiting upon is not your ordinary word for wait. It's rather unique in Hebrew. It's almost always in the context of waiting upon the Lord. There may be even only one to, as all the number of times you find it, maybe only one time in which it doesn't. But is this idea unique in which it, 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 it it's not passive. It is not just waiting and doing nothing. Actually, it is very aggressive. It's a hoping in the Lord. It's a trusting in God. It's an anticipating. That God will do good things. Even as the psalmist says in 23, it says, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living church. I want you to declare that as a, tr- as a truth. That you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Okay? You will see it in your generation. You will see it in your lifetime. As a matter of fact, may your prayer be it'll, it'll happen 2023, this year. We're going to see God's goodness poured out. Wait for the Lord, he says. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Isaiah 40, you know this verse. It says, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Okay? Doesn't say and they shall renew their strength and win Super Bowls. (sighs) My heart goes out to Jalen hurts. He did such an amazing job. Oh, well. Next year, right? We wait with patience and hope fully anticipating church the essence of faith fully anticipating God's good answer. We press in fervently and in faith our hope is invigorated, our spiritual strength is renewed, our weariness our weariness is replaced with passion and a moving forward at least eventually. Next week, I'm going to be starting a sermon series entitled, Pulling Out of Survival Mode. What does survival mode even look like? When we've pulled out of it, what does whatever is not survival mode, victory mode, what does that look like? And then how do we move from survival mode to what God has for us? And I think you're going to see the message today. I believe, is an excellent example of waiting upon the Lord, but it's going to help us transition into this new sermon series, Pulling Out of Survival Mode. Because the truth is, many times we go through survival mode. Now, survival mode is not sin. We're going to discover that. The challenge, though, is how long do we stay there? For some people, it's years. And I would challenge you, that is not God's will. Today, we're going to be looking at this prayer of Jabez. Here's my question. How does this prayer then, since it wraps up this idea of waiting upon the Lord, how does it reflect that? How does it reflect that? Are you there with me, church? First Chronicles, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Jabez was more honorable than his brother's. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Mm. Jabez <laughs> cried out to... I would cry out to God if I... Anyway, Jabez cried out to God, uh, to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request what an obscure passage in these 10 chapters of genealogy right there in the middle hidden away tucked away but i'm going to just let you in on a little clue whenever you discover something like this it's kind of like a diamond in the rough now don't get me wrong jews loved their genealogies okay my heart goes out to them (laughs) all right Pinch me make sure I'm awake. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I, I, I do nerd out a little bit when it comes to names, and we're going to discover some familiar names tonight. But I think genealogies are, are, I just, they're not my go-to thing when I want encouragement. But I'm going to tell you what, when you discover these two verses like this, right in the heart of it, boom, it, it, it's not real clear first reading what it means. I'm going to be honest with you, it doesn't. And so I think it causes the reader to just pause and, wait, 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 what? Who is this Jabez guy? Why was he more honorable than others? Why does it even talk about this prayer? I mean, is he going off in left field here? What's going on? Good questions. In order to understand this passage, I'm going to start right in the middle of these two verses. As we get to Jabez prayer, we're not going to do that like right away. When we get there, you're going to notice there are four prayer requests. We're going to look at the second one. Enlarge my territory. Let me first tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean, oh Lord, I really like that guy's Porsche. I really want it. The meek shall inherit the earth. I claim that in Jesus' name. It does not mean that. It does not mean what Ahab thought maybe it meant in, okay, in which Ahab got a hold of, coveted, stole Naboth's vineyard. It was right next door to his palace. He wanted it, and he went home, and he had a temper tantrum, and Jezebel said, come on, old man, wake up, snap out of this, you're the king. Just go over there and take it from him. And so Jabez helped him kill Naboth and take the vineyard from him. That's not what this is talking about. Jabez is not coveting. That would break the 10 commandments, the 10th commandment. I don't believe that he's asking for an increase in finances so that he can secure a really nice piece of property right next to his. Well, you know what, lords? Just provide the finances because I really like that plot of land. It would make such an amazing palace, okay? Um, the Emperor, the, the, the uh, how does that, what's the name of that movie? The Emperor Lost His Groove, what's it called? Emperor's Groove, Emperor's New Groove, okay? It's not like he saw a house up on top of the hill, I want that, right? Okay, it, it's not some really neat business venture prayer. It doesn't fit the context, it doesn't fit the larger context or the immediate context. What does it mean then? In order for us to understand what it means, we're going to have to dig into this. Are you ready? This is a genealogy. It starts off in the genealogy of Judah, who, by the way, Jesus was born in this. And let me just say that this prayer of Jabez is like a mini gospel message as it points to Christ. I'm not saying that the Hebrew readers before Christ understood that. But it's purposely in this genealogy of Judah, I believe, because it's going to begin to open up for those who will inherit everything from the cross. I truly believe that. But we can't speculate that much at this point. Right now, all we know, it's in the genealogy of Judah. So let's look at a few names. I'm not going to read them to you, okay? But let's recognize a few, shall we? Look at verse 13, the sons of Kenaz, and what's the first one's name? Othniel, Kenaz. Look at verse 15, the sons of Caleb, son of Jephunneh. Caleb was Joshua's right-hand man. You remember who Joshua was. He was Moses' right-hand man. He actually became the general that led all of Israel into the land of Canaan with numerous campaigns in order to conquer the land. That's who Joshua was. Caleb was his right-hand man. When Caleb, when they had conquered the land, Caleb was 85, I love this, Caleb was 85 years old, and he says, I want the land of Hebron, which is just in, in it's kind of in southern Judah, it's in the hill country, but Anakites lived there. You know what the Anakites are? They were giants in the Lineage, ty- or, in, you know, the same stock as Goliath was. There were big dudes. Probably Amorites. But you know what? K- uh, Caleb said, I want that land. I don't care if there are giants in it. We're going to go kick some Anakite butt. We're going to conquer the land. Moses promised me that land. It was a beautiful place, I'm sure, on the side of a mountain. Man, Lookout was probably gorgeous. But there was a problem because there's giants in the land. Caleb, that's the Caleb we're talking about. He was one of the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, were the two that had a different spirit that were full of faith that said, I don't care what you people, you ten spies are saying. We're going to be positive. If God said we're going to take the land, then guess what? We're going to take the land. And so that was That's Caleb. Kenes was his older, bro- excuse me, his younger brother. Kenez went down into the same area, no doubt helped his brother, but that's the portion of land that they inherited. Beautiful, filled with giants. Kenez's son was Othniel. Othniel was the first judge of Israel. After the conquest, the land. All of Canaan was divided up amongst the 12 tribes. Judah was in the southern portion. Every tribe, when they went to inherit their land, they were told, it's going to take you some time to conquer that land, because Joshua didn't conquer everybody, just the major groups, just enough to get a hold into land so that now when the tribes go there to inherit it, they can oust, conquer, defeat the rest of the peoples. Because the Bible says that the sins of the Amorites had reached their fill. God was tired of all of the blood sacrifices and offering their children to, the, to their gods in fire. And God said, no more, I'm bringing judgment, I'm going to wipe these people out. Apparently their culture was beyond redemption. That's God's choice, not ours, by the way. And God said, now's the time, wipe them out, don't spare them. There is a toxicity in their sinful culture that you need to absolutely eliminate, decimate. It will destroy you if you don't. Next couple of weeks, we're actually going to be looking at the first few chapters of Judges to talk about why it was so hard for them to conquer the land. When Jabez is praying, enlarge my territory... He lives during this time in which the tribes go to inherit the land. He's not asking for the land of his brother. He's asking simply for the inheritance that he has been given that's rightfully his, but there are Amorites and Canaanites on the land. So his prayer is very valid. God, help me inherit what you have already given me. Did you hear me say that? Help me inherit what you've already given me. Enlarge my territory because there's people living on it that don't belong there, and I need your help. But this is going to require fighting. This is going to require fighting for his inheritance. Now, I want you to just jot down, that while you're taking notes, I want you to just jot down what the Spirit says begins to reveal to you specifically concerning application points. What is the relevance of this issue of acquiring and fighting for Jabez's inheritance? Your inheritance. What is your inheritance in Christ? What has God given to you that the enemy is so eager to steal from you. Now, that, that should be sure. John 10. That the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you look at that little illustration there or metaphor, the thief is not Satan. The thief is an ambassador or an emissary of Satan. And it is Satan's emissaries. Regardless of their flesh and blood or just circumstances or anything, they are pawns in the hands of Satan to rob you of your inheritance. To take from you what is rightfully yours. So what has been rightfully given to you? How about if we start with salvation? That has been rightfully given to you. So how do you fight for your salvation, as Paul tells the Philippians, with fear and trembling? So this is a valid point that Paul himself makes in Philippians 2. We cannot be led astray, church. There's too much junk out there in the world that is tempting and luring and entrapping us to be led astray down a pathway of sin. Do not allow the devil to do that. How about the fruit of the Spirit? Do you realize that the fruit of the Spirit is yours to walk in? It's not the fruit of the flesh, or the fruit of Mike Curtis, or self-will, or the fruit of the Christian. This is the fruit of the Spirit, and it is by nature, then, supernatural. The love that the Spirit of God is producing in you is supernatural. The, the, the joy that the Spirit is producing, it's supernatural. The peace, the goodness, the kindness, it's all supernatural. Supernatural. It's yours to walk in. I'm not saying you don't have to do anything for it. If we're going to apply this correctly, though, I'm going to tell you this. Then you need to fight for it. God will produce it. He wants to produce love. So here's my question. Is Satan stirring up hurts and unforgiveness in you? I listened to what Juliana said, and I said, oh, my goodness, she's starting to preach my message. Hold on now. You need to fight and pray For that love, that supernatural love that God's wanting to deposit and form in your life. How about joy? Are your present circumstances stealing your joy? If they are, I want you to write it down. You need to fight and pray for that joy. Because that is your inheritance. That's part of your birthright, church. I'm not saying we don't go through hard times and there's sorrow in life. Yes. But that joy, the devil wants to rob you of through all different means, so you don't walk in it permanently. Permanently depressed. There's so many people. I want to be careful with this, but there's so many people on medication because they have they just go through so much depression, and I just believe that God wants to bring supernatural healing them to experience that supernatural joy and i'm not saying that this is like a, a total buzz like 24 7 that god wants you to have i mean david didn't go through that even jesus didn't have that even jesus didn't he had his garden of gethsemane so i'm i'm, I'm not going overboard with this but if you're lacking in joy i want you to write that down how about peace Is there, is the enemy bringing division in your relationships with others or in your relationship or intimacy with God? And if he is, church, fight for it. Fight and pray for it. And this is going to require a lot of, guess what? Inconvenient praying and inconvenient fasting. That's the nature of waiting upon the Lord. I'm not saying that if you really are wanting something, now you've got to fast for 40 days. I'm not suggesting that you might but you know what we have to take this seriously how about here's here's another one in the Lord's Prayer we pray for our daily bread I believe God wants to provide you with your daily bread I'm not suggesting he wants you to win the lottery but I do think he wants to provide your daily bread and if necessary do it supernaturally How many of you have ever seen God provide for your needs supernaturally, supernaturally? He's done that in my life so many times. Those are testimonies. Every time you're facing an 11th hour, 59th minute need, God, where are you? Think back to that time in which God did provide for your daily needs and have faith that he will come through. And I've seen him do that over and over again and even rebuke me when I have lacked faith church maybe some of us just need to be rebuked tonight maybe some of us just need to be encouraged and challenged where's our faith god will provide he is our provider aggressively press into god weary the judge luke 18 the widow wearying the judge we need to weary the judge so to speak praise god our judge in heaven never gets weary but you understand what i'm saying don't be afraid to weary the judge how about children straying from the Lord? Acts 16.31, the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Wow, how many, I would love to for people to just walk up to me and say, hey, Mike, what must I do to be saved? And I was like, man, I'm so glad you asked. You have a couple of minutes. I just want to tell you how you can be saved right now. You don't have to wait for it. Right now, you can be rescued. And here's what Paul said. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and you remember your household your household i believe that see children are a heritage from the lord god has given my children to me as an inheritance and i have been, i've been trying my best to steward that inheritance my wife of course with me but you know what god has given them to me and not the devil and so our goal is to see them raised up. Did you, do you realize, Christian parents, that you are a sanctifying influence? 1 Corinthians 7, a sanctifying influence on your children. So pray and fight for your children. That's an inheritance that God has given to you. God, we're praying, enlarge my territory. That's what he's talking about. Amen. Is this, you know, if this then is the proper context, and I truly believe it is, concerning enlarge my territory. If this is the proper context, what does this prayer mean, and how can we walk in it? Well, let's look at the very beginning here. We're just now beginning to, to really get into this, okay? Mike needs to hurry. It says that Jabez was more honorable, contrast here, more honorable than his brothers. Now, some translations say that he was more honored than his brothers. Can I be honest with you? The Hebrew can go either way. It doesn't matter. Because if you are honorable, you will be honored. People honor others because they're honorable. Either they are honorable in their character or something that they have done. I believe for Jabez it was uh, it was both. You see a reflection of this heart of Jabez we're going to discover that was honorable, and it was even more honorable than his brothers, and as a result, he became more honored than his brothers. We're going to need to look at this, okay? And I'm just going to admit to you from the outset, there's going to be an ounce of speculation in here, but I believe that it's warranted. You be the judge, we're going to look at this. So, It doesn't matter honorable or honored jabez stood out why was he called jabez his name it doesn't mean pain but it is when you say jabez it sounds very similar to the hebrew word pain that you actually come across in verse 10 pain let's just understand from the outset there are two types of pain there's an external pain and an internal pain the external pain is physical pain. Ouch, man, that hurt. The internal pain is what we call grief or sorrow. Oh, that hurts. It's so painful. Jabez's mother gave birth to him in pain. Was it an external pain or was it an internal pain? Now, follow me. How many of you women have Ever given birth in all of the children you gave birth to, how many of you had no pain? Okay, uh, 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 you know, what do they call that block? The, uh, a a C-section. That doesn't count. Anesthesia doesn't count, okay? Spinal blocks, that doesn't count. Natural birth, how many of you gave birth and did not have any pain? Anybody? Little to None. Super unusual, because you know why. Extreme pain is the result of the fall. Maybe you're just not falling, and you didn't. Okay, I'm just, I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. Don't can't go there. But the truth is, I'm sorry. But what woman would name their son a name that sounds just like pain because she had pain, physical pain, in her childbirth? Hello, like. Ms. Mrs. Jabez's mother, I mean, all women go through that. Hello? I mean, I'm sure your mom did. Think of your sisters like your grandmother. and All the way back to Adam and Eve. They've had pain in childbirth. What's the big deal? Can I just suggest that this is not a physical pain? This is an inner pain that she's going through. An inner pain. there is there's, When she gave birth to her son... She was going through an experience of tremendous grief or sorrow. Okay? So here's my question. What was that grief or what was that sorrow? Here's where the ounce of speculation comes in. Let me just say something to you. Both mothers and fathers in the Bible had the right to name their children. At the end of Genesis 4... Eve gives birth to a son and calls him Seth. At the beginning of chapter 5, the Bible tells us that Adam named him Seth. So who was it? Well, hello, it was probably both. So they both, both mom and dad, would name the child. There was an agreement there. Let me tell you two examples, or, or let me start off with an example in which it was not an agreement. Do you remember... A man by the name of Israel. His name was also Jacob. He was married to both Leah and Rachel. I'm not going to get into that. Rachel, sorry, Rachel was his favorite. He loved her the most. Okay, as I said, I'm not getting into that. That'll divert me. When Rachel gives birth to one of her sons, her second son, her first son was Joseph. Her second son, when she gives birth, she dies. Oh, my goodness. Do you know what she named her son? Ben-Oni. Doesn't that just shock you? I'm just kidding. She calls him Ben-Oni. Ben-Oni means son of my trouble. Cole, how would you like it if your name was Ben-Oni? And every time someone, or just so it's not Hebrew, you're called son of my trouble. Son of of my trouble! Sorry, I hope that didn't. What? When she dies, her husband, Jacob, says, I can't let, she names him Ben-Oni right in her dying breath. Jacob can't honor that. He says, no, I, every time I call Ben-Oni, I'm going to think of my wife's death. I can't do that. I can't have my children. Every time they say, hey, Ben-Oni, what do you, and remember their mother's death. I can't do that. So he renames them. Do you remember what he calls him? Benjamin which means son of my right hand. Whole lot more favorable. Son of, who sits at the right hand? Blessing, honor, not trouble, not pain. Let me tell you a time, though, in which a very negative name was given to a child, and it stuck, but it stuck for a reason. Eli was a priest. Priest during the time of Samuel. He's about 90 years old. Samuel's born, and he's raising Samuel up. Eli, during Eli's day, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> Israel goes to war against the Philistines, and they had this super cool, but horrible, horrible, horrible idea. We're going to take the Ark of the Covenant in with us into battle against the Philistines. Oh, rub that, make that Ark of the Covenant nice and shiny. It, what a horrible idea. They lost the battle, and the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant. But guess who died? In the battle, Eli's son, he died. His wife, during the battle, gives birth to a child. You know what she names her child? You're going to be familiar with this name. Ichabod. Ichabod Crane. You know what Ichabod means? Eh, means no or not. Kabod means glory. No glory. Saxon, how would you like to have that name? Hey, no glory. It was like gold. Mom, seriously, no glory, Ichabod. Boy, I hope nobody's listening to this online. His name is Ichabod. But the truth is, where there's no glory, God can turn that around. Did I did I save myself in that one? But the truth is, why would you? Call, why would? What a horrible name, Ichabod. But the dad was not there to change the name. Ah, so it stuck. How would you like? be called grief or sorrow, and it stuck. And I'm going to guess, but I feel that it fits the circumstances here very well. Her husband died. Her husband died. Why? Because her husband was about the Lord's business with the tribe of Judah trying to take his land, and he died in battle. You're going to see how that plays significantly here in just a moment. So here, he, he has died during the son's birth. And the mom calls him pain. But he's not there to change it. But I tell you what, Jabez is there to change it. He grows up realizing the passing of his father, the grief. And it's, it's j- it hangs over the whole family. And what we're about to discover here will tell us why he becomes more honored than all of his brothers, because all of his brothers shrunk back in the face of trouble. And they said, I don't want to follow my dad's footsteps and die in battle. And I'm going to suggest to you that his entire family did not fight for their inheritance. They didn't fight for what was theirs. The sting of death, so touched the very heart and core of their soul, they just stepped back and said, not me, I can't let that happen. We're going to discover in the next couple of weeks that many people fell into this category in Israel. The, the people had, in Judah, they, they fought hard, but eventually the planes, it says P-L-A-I-N-S, they didn't fly planes, you know what a, planes, right, level ground, those types of planes, that's where the iron chariots were and the Canaanites would, Amorites would ride their iron chariots, and they were just so tough. We're going to discover, well, how would they have defeated those people with iron chariots? Because there was a way, but they gave up. So many tribes just gave up. I believe Jabez's brothers gave up, but Jabez did not. And if this is true, that his father, or at least a loved one, died and there was grief, Jabez had to grow up in that shadow and say, I can't let that keep me from what the, from the inheritance that God has given me. So let's look at this point. Number one, number, number one thing in prayer is that he says, oh, that you would bless me in Hebrew. It's literally translated. Oh, that blessing you would bless me. And so to emphasize a word, you would repeat it just like blessing, bless. They do that in Greek, by the way. In Acts chapter 12, when when Peter is in prison, remember the angel appears and leads him out of prison? The church, in the verse before, says, and they were praying. Now, your version probably says, they were praying earnestly. But in the Greek, it says, and praying they prayed. So it's a way of emphasizing. Greek and Hebrew, the same. Earnestly, so if we if we were to translate this, he's basically saying, "Oh, that you would super abundantly bless me! Don't just bless me a little bit, God. Bless me a lot." Now, I'm gonna. I suggested to you, I don't believe that he's talking about some financial blessing here. He is talking about something different in with regard to enlarging my territory. That I believe the context fits best during the time of the judges, trying to fight for that land. He says there in the very beginning of verse 10, Jabez spoke very softly to the Lord. Oh, bless bless me. D- d- is, is that what your Bible says? It says no, so he cried out. Have you ever cried out? Now I, if, if you cry out, I'm going to imagine that you're not going to whisper like this. I'm going to imagine That Jabez and God had a little powwow. And Jabez just came to this point where he knew that he had to do what he had to do, and he had to go fight some enemies on his land. I don't know how many square miles it was, but it limited him, and he was commanded to take the land. But if his dad had died, what a scourge, what a blight, what a what that's something that would say, God, I. My dad, I mean, he was a godly man. I tried, he couldn't do it. How can I? And his brother's probably feeling the same thing. I can't do it. I'm not any stronger or bigger or badder than my dad. Gabez cries out to God. This is serious. His life is on the line. I think many times when we think of Joshua and they're taking the land and then the tribes, they're taking the land, we, we kind of romanticize it a little bit. Can I just tell you, war is never romantic. People always die in battle. Always. People died when the tribe of Judah went to take their inheritance. People died. We don't know all who did. I'm suggesting that Jabez's father did. And that is the grief into which he was born. That's the scourge that hung over him and his brothers. Interesting why it says he's more honorable than his brothers in the very beginning. But this is a desperate cry. He could die trying to enlarge his territory. He could fail to secure his inheritance. And that had implications for his entire family. Help me, God, or I perish. But leaving my inheritance to my enemies is not an option, church. God has given you inheritance. Letting the enemy have it is not an option. We must fight for it. No matter the cost. And I'm going to tell you this. It will probably cost you something. So while I'm preaching you're writing down maybe some of those things that god has promised you maybe some of them are the fruits of the spirit provision of different kinds what inheritance do you feel the enemy is stealing from you write it down and allow the spirit to begin to speak to you as i continue to preach is our heart's prayer posture too cavalier too comfortable too casual Guilty is charged. Sometimes drastic problems require drastic measures like fasting, inconvenient fasting, long periods of prayer. Do you realize that right now the reviving or revival, whatever you want to call it, is going on in Asbury University that they are actually camping out there in the sanctuary, in the chapel at night and they continue to worship. I'm not saying that that's what you've got to do. That's going to create something rather superstitious, and God's not interested in that. But they're sacrificing. Many of them are. They truly want to see a move of God in their school and throughout this nation. And God is dealing with hearts. I mean, there's just so many testimonies of change that that God is doing in people's lives, forgiving each other, confessing sins and such. That's the substance of reviving. And it's inconvenient. That type of group praying is inconvenient. Where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. Whatever they pray for, agreeing together, I will give it to them. Now, there's no measuring stick the Bible uses for, you know, how much you need to inconvenience yourself. Let's be really careful on that. It is all about the heart posture. The second thing that he prays for is enlarge my territory. And I'm just going to say this since we've already addressed it. Just continue to write down some inheritance issues that are pressing on your heart right now. Number three, let your hand be with me. Deuteronomy 5.15 says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So many times that staff was in Moses hand and he stretched it out like over the sea and God did miracles like mm, parting the red sea. Pretty amazing. Jabez realized that the realized the absolute necessity of God's hand, his miraculous power that was needed to fight and take his inheritance, to fight for it and take his inheritance. I want you to just write I want you to just write down one way God may need to act in order to secure that issue of inheritance that you've already written down. What kind of miraculous act might God need to do? And is your faith big enough for that miraculous act? Can you pray for that miraculous. Can you pray that God would do a miracle? Is your faith big enough? Are you willing to be inconvenienced enough? My children are part of my inheritance. One of my children is just really, really struggling, really struggling. However, about more than 15 years ago, another one of my children did, and it this went on for a couple of years. And I saw this rebellion that was starting to creep in her and it's it's very seriously concerned both my wife and i we began to pray we began to fast we began to examine our own hearts i began to ask god was there a way in which i did something that embittered her and there was a time years and years before in which Over a period of time when she was young, I had to be really firm with her. And I thought, was I too firm with her? Did I scar her? Did I hurt her? Are these types of seeds of bitterness starting to manifest themselves now five, six, seven, eight years later? I mean, that's a serious question that we should ask ourselves and not be afraid to ask ourselves as parents. But you know what? We don't harp on it. Okay, if that's the case, then God forgive me. Help me to grow from that. But I now need to focus on my daughter. And what can I do? And so we just there were certain things that my wife and I did that were super inconvenient. And we prayed and we fasted church. And when this daughter turned about 12 years old, 12 to 13, we just began to see the sweetness of the spirit of Jesus blossom in her life. There would be times in which I would come down And I would go into my study, and I would have to step over this child because she is face down on the ground crying out to God for her friends at college, for her friends at school, that they would get saved, crying out to God on behalf of her family and for others. And and, and she would literally just be prostrate before the Lord, and I would step over her, grab my Bible, and I would I'd have my quiet time out in the study. And I was fine with that. And as you look at all five of my children, if you know them, you would suspect this daughter to be, to, to, to least be the person, am I saying that right? That would be so filled with anger and hurt and whatever. And Jenny Rose, God just got a hold of her life. And totally turned her around. She loves discipling other ladies. She loves, Jesus is the passion of her life. Her second passion, of course, is her husband. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you got that right. And she's a, she's going to be having a baby in about two months of her own. That is super exciting. But this, this was part of my inheritance that god had blessed my wife and i with and we were gonna fight for this and with my other child that's going through what she's going through we're going to be fighting we're already talking about drastic measures what can we do we are not letting the devil win number four and I, i need to hurry here keep me from harm so that i will be free of pain Now, again, this pain could be external or internal. I think keeping with the context, it's going to be an internal pain. Keep me from grief. Now, let me just say, some versions talk about, say that it is Jabez's grief. That Jabez is saying, keep me from grief. Other versions will say, keep me from causing grief. So let me just say this. Regardless, Jabez is praying, please don't let the end result be grief. Because, God, I have been there, and I do not wish that again. I don't wish grief for my children. I don't wish grief for any of my family members. I don't wish grief for me. Jabez is not going out to take the land all by himself. He probably had to rally his brothers. Come on, guys, let's go. I'll lead this thing. I'll do whatever we need to do, but... And if it's possible that it was his dad who died, that means Jabez was the youngest, unless he had a stepdad. And if that's the case, the youngest rallying the older brothers. He was honorable. His brothers shrunk back. The pain, the grief that they had experienced, can't do it can't do it and if Jabez indeed was the youngest here he finally comes up and he's of age which I guess is at least 20 maybe he's older he's married kids we don't know but here he is it's time for me to take my land come on guys we do this together we're going to talk about that doing it together tribes did it together we got to do this together we're taking this land and we're going to take not just my terror but yours as well that dad isn't in, in that you've received from dad but we're going to take this we're not going to let them stay. We're good. Church, you need to be sick and tired of the devil robbing you. And until you're sick and tired of it, you're just going to let him do it. These are things that God has promised. He's given to us. And some of this stuff, love, joy, peace, patience, they're hard to walk through. That's why they're supernatural. It's got to be by the Spirit. But if the devil is... Sp- trying so hard to throw circumstance after circumstance your way so that there's bitterness, so that there's unforgiveness, so that there's anger towards God, you will never learn to love supernaturally. You will never learn to walk in supernatural joy. Your focus is always on the bad things in life. Oh, there we go. There's another one. Yep. There we go. Can't believe it. And the devil has just robbed you of joy. There needs to be a cry of faith in our hearts, church. Jabez obeyed God. He did it. He prayed this bold prayer, and God granted his request. God did it. He did it. So let me give you a translation of this. This this is the Mike Curtis translation of his prayer. Oh, that you would super abundantly bless, bless me by extending my borders. That your powerful hand would empower me in fighting for my inheritance so that no harm comes to me and the outcome of this will not bring grief, but rather great joy. So here is my question to us all. What has the enemy stolen from you or has made it seemingly impossible to attain? That's your birthright. That is yours. God has given it. I'm going to challenge you. Church, let's fight for it. If you're weary, that's what the whole next sermon series is going to be on. How do, we, how do we wake up from survival mode? But it's going to require us to fight. And when you're feeling weary, that is like the last thing you want to hear. Okay? But at some point, we step out of the grief and we say, okay, I'm bad already. Church, can you stand with me? Father, I just I, I ask you, Lord God, that you would prepare our, hi, our, our hearts this year to fight. I pray, Father, that we wouldn't have to fight too hard, but if we do, Lord God, may we fight hard. Father, help me to fight hard. For each of us, show us what that would even look like, Lord God. Who are the giants? What are the iron chariots on our land? And I just ask you, Father, that your spirit would speak words of truth tonight, but also speak words of life and encouragement. The Father, that these are promises. And because Jabez was so bold, you gave him his bold request. God, we're asking you boldly, give us everything all of this inheritance show us what it is as we're writing things down lord god that we're struggling with god grant us that request in the powerful name of jesus give it to us by your right hand by your miraculous power oh god and may we never shrink back from battle in jesus name i pray